Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Prometheus. It sounded like a good idea, but now you kind of regret it. Let's start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's episode is brought to you by Satan's Alley, the dramatic new film starring Kirk Lazarus and Tobey Maguire. Satan's Alley, thrust yourself into the darkest alley of sin. How's it going, everybody? I'm Wes. And I am Todd. Welcome to The Pestle, where we like to break down and discuss movies in maybe two slightly different ways. I like to, I don't know, go crazy technically, I guess. And I just like watching them and seeing what you say about how they did those crazy things that they did. There's always the uh, spoiler warning we like to give before we start the show, just because we're going to get into actual details of the film. And today we're talking Whiplash. And so if you haven't seen it yet, totally go watch it. I think you will probably enjoy it. And that way you can avoid also getting into spoilers. If you have seen it or if you don't care about spoilers, please continue because things are going to get fun. And some people don't care about spoilers. Apparently not. They exist. I, I don't understand them. I am not one of those people. Yeah, I know. Me either. <laughs> yeah. Today we're going to be talking about whiplash and music and jazz. Um, we'll dive a little bit into color and the idea of good job and how destructive or not maybe um, it is. But really... This whole episode is a little less planned than I normally like to get. And so in a sense, I'll be playing jazz. Yes, I like that. It should be. Because you always have your notes that you that you come in with. And yeah, I usually have a stack of notes of, that I take while I'm watching the film. And then yeah. we, we watched the film last night. And I just, I thought I would have time to rewatch it and take notes. Mm -hmm. And so last night, I hadn't seen it since the theaters. And I really just wanted to sit and enjoy it again before trying to break it apart. This is good. I'm I'm glad we're doing it this way. Just just so you you can see what I'm like <laughs> uh, when I come into these things and and see if you like it. Yeah, well, you know, because I know you're you're the prepared type. I am. You know, I do like to over prepare. Yeah, um, but also I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. I'm. I'm think this could end up being a very short episode. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know, man. I don't know. There's a lot to talk about about this film. That's true. Yeah. Uh, let's give a synopsis. Uh, so uh, the synopsis is it, uh, a promising young drummer enrolls at a cutthroat music conservatory in New York where his dreams of greatness are mentored by an instructor who will stop at nothing to realize a student's potential. That That's a very much more positive uh, version of that of of this. Uh, anyway, it was written and directed by Damien Chazelle, uh, starring Miles Teller as Andrew Neiman, J.K. Simmons as Fletcher, Paul Reiser as Andrew's dad, uh, Jim Neiman, and M Melissa Benoist. Is that how you pronounce that? Benoist, maybe. Sure, as Nicole. Yeah, and she did great. She is excellent. Yeah, let's roll a soundbite. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, stay. What's your name? Andrew Naiman, sir. What year are you? I'm a uh, first year. You know who I am? Yes, sir. So you know I'm looking for players? Yes, sir. Then why did you stop playing? 
Did I ask you to start playing again? Uh, sorry, I asked I why understand. you stopped playing, and your version of an answer was to turn into a wind-up monkey. Sorry, I thought... Show me your rudiments. Yes, sir. Mm. <laughs> Very good. He destroys. Do you remember watching this for the first time? I do. I, my, I mean, there, there's so much that I could take away from, from it, but just, you know, let's just look at it from the standpoint of the opening shot where, I mean, the first thing you hear is a drum and is a snare drum and there's this slow roll in through a hallway to this kid by himself uh, in this echoey uh, room just playing. And as, as someone who, as a musician myself, I mean, that's where you spend 98% of your time is alone in a room <laughs> practicing or writing or just going over your rudiments or whatever, your scales. And, and just for that opportunity for those, you know, 30 minutes to play on a stage in front of other people. But it's all, it's like the, the iceberg effect where, you know, you got 90% of the iceberg actually underwater and you're only really seeing 10% of it. It's the same, it's the same thing. So it was, it's just, it sets such a good picture and then immediately introduces you to the two, the two main focuses of this film, you know, which is JK Simmons and, and miles, um, or Andrew and Fletcher. Yeah. Right. And what I love about that opening shot is that it's, it is jazz. It's not this steady rock solid right. dolly shot going down the hallway. It's got a little wobble to it. Yeah. And you're kind of moving around. Yeah, yeah. And then we cut to the close up of Andrew sitting at his drums and looking up and seeing that it's, you know, Fletcher and Fletcher kind of creeps in out of the, out of the darkness. And it's like, I have so many thoughts on him. We'll get to him in a, in more specifically in a little bit, but, um, I love that. It's like, he's the spirit of jazz and he's just kind of slinking around looking, trying to look into people's soul almost because yeah. he didn't want to be noticed until he wanted to be noticed. Yeah. He drew attention to himself when he was ready. Um, but that's such a, that first shot really establishes, like you said, you, you get right into the first two characters and right off the bat, we can hear the relationship status. He's oh, an authoritarian. Yeah. He's going to call you out. He's unpredictable, which is just like jazz. Um, and he's off kilter. Um, Andrew is. He's, he's caught off guard. He never knows quite what to do. He's constantly you know, on the edge of screwing up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the um, Fletcher is the, the main professor at this conservatory. So the whole one, one of the whole reasons why, why, um, uh, Andrew wanted to go to the school in the first place was to get into his band, into mm -hmm. Fletcher's band. That's the whole thing. And now the guy is standing right in front of him telling him, play your drums. Have you, so you're a musician. Yeah. Have you I've been known to be, <laughs> every have you ever had that opportunity to play for someone that you respected so much? Uh, I mean, yes, but it, it, it's not, uh, I guess the word respect wouldn't be the, respected wouldn't be the, the, the words, uh, for playing for someone, um, prestigious, whether that's in your own eyes or just, you know, or to the world. Yeah, I, I have. And it's, it's, it's nerve wracking. You never think you're good enough. You never, you know, I mean, I rarely 
anytime, anytime that I was on a stage, I'd always think, what the hell am I doing here? How is this, you know, like, but especially when you're playing for someone that's, that you feel like could make or break you, Mm -hmm. you know, like the whole reason you do this is to like have this opportunity to be in front of this person or someone like this person. And then now you have it and you're like, Oh crap. Uh, am I ready? Did I, did I spend enough time in that room by myself? Uh, you start second guessing yourself. It's, it's scary. It's super scary. Um, I identify a lot with that just because not only being an actor and you go in for an audition oh yeah, and there's cast and directors here in town that you finally get the chance to get in front of and you really want to do well. And, um, those auditions I've never done well. I feel completely like Andrew in those situations. I just drop the ball every time I'm doing what I think they want me to do instead of what's really in me. Like, let me pour my heart into this character, not into someone's expectations. Cause I feel like that's where people are going to flounder. Right. But I've also been on the other end where in junior high and high school, I was in band and there were two types of band, right? There's the regular marching concert band. And then there's also the jazz band or the solos. And I've been on both sides of that where it's nice being in concert in a marching band where you kind of get to hide and blend in with everybody. But when you get those moments, whether it's in jazz band or maybe UIL, you do these solo competitions, um, you have nobody to fall back on. It's just you. It's just you out there and you are sticking out like a sore thumb and you can feel everyone's eyes on you and it's either time to show up or shut up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary. And that, that scene is so good because it just paints, like you said, the picture of the whole rest of the movie. Uh, the other thing that I like about the, the, the way that they introduce the movie in general um, you have that opening scene. It gets right to it. You're not bored at all. There's tension immediately. There's tension in his playing. And then there's tension immediately whenever uh, Fletcher walks in. But then then after that, when he's walking through the city, the, the, way that, the way that they introduce how music is going to play in this film is immediate. You, you hear some crazy jazz going on, um, but you you kind of feel a structure to it but it's not quite there just like the city the city like is bustling and and everything and 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 everything's moving fast there's fast cars going around there's there's lights coming in and 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 going out and then um but andrew's just walking he's just calmly walking through the 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 city which is very much like a jazz drummer needs to be they need to be even if even if they're playing crazy and you see this throughout the film when he's trying to learn caravan and, and it's so fast and all he's doing is tense. He's tense and he's trying, he's trying, he's trying. And then at the end when he's actually playing it, he is relaxed and he is chill, which is just like a jazz drummer needs to be. So he's, he's, he's the coolest one. He's the calmest one in the city and the drummer is supposed to be the calmest one in the music that's p- being played, which is underneath all of this crazy, you know, soloing and stuff going over on top of it. It's, it's, it's just such a great way to introduce it. It's awesome. I love it. And what's great. You know. What I re- one of the many things I really love about this film, um, is that, so the music, right? Mm-hmm. Music is somewhat based on tension and resolution, right? You, yeah. you have these, oh, yeah. these moments of, Oh, I'm waiting for this note to hit. There it is. God, that felt good. Yeah. Um, 
but that's not jazz. It's kind of jazz. <laughs> yeah. But the other half of jazz is it looks for the tension. It holds on to it. <laughs> and it holds on. And depending yeah. on the track, man, you may never get that resolution. Yeah, right. It's just there to rub you raw and rub you in all the wrong ways. This film is jazz, man. Yeah, man. It's, yeah. A, it's, it's not a happy, feel-good movie, and they let you know that in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's tension. It's a thriller, and I love that uh, Damon Chazelle has a really great story. We'll link to it on the website uh, at thepestlepodcast.com slash whiplash. Um, there's this great article where, that he wrote where he talks about his experience making this film and how he had such a hard time. He had the script. He said he wrote the script, and it was loosely based on his own experiences in music. And he wrote it back in like 2011, okay. and he buried it. He was like, this is too personal. I don't really oh, want people... Man. I don't know I if people those. are going to identify with it or, you know, how are people going to respond to this? And then all you writers, all you filmmakers out there, you, you, if it's too personal to put out there, that means it has to be put out there. Yeah. That's the, the rule here. That's the good stuff. Yeah. And he took that, held on to it. He buried it for years. And then finally he got frustrated with everyone in LA having their own films. And he's like, man, this is, this has got to stop. I need, I need to do my own thing. And he pulled it out and he let some people read it and, uh, I forget all the details, but the initial responses from around town were eyes glazed over. Like oh. this is a movie about what it's, it's about. A, it's about a jazz drummer, <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> you know, but it's more than that. It's more. No, 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 no. Well, why are we still talking about this? Yeah. <laughs> and finally he tracked down some amazing producers. I can't remember if they were directly associated with uh, Blumhouse or not, but Jason Blum uh, runs a production studio or yeah, I guess it's a production house uh, called Blumhouse and they've done films like get out is one of their films. I was going to say they do a lot of thrillers too. Yeah. They do a lot of horror horror. and and thrillers for sure. And um, they bought into it. They got it. They read it and they loved it obviously. But then you still have the problem of getting investors on your side. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you do? How do you, cause you still have that same problem of, well, it's a movie about a jazz drummer, but <laughs> yeah. no, I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah. And so what they ended up having to do in order to kind of convince everyone that not only was this going to be a good movie, but he was the right guy to direct it is he decided to make a short film. He mm. took one scene out of the film and shot it in three days. And he said, this was his first time actually directing a crew of professionals and i totally get that yeah. that feeling yeah um and he had to envision everything how he what he was really trying to do and so it was an opportunity to really hone and identify what the script was about and so he made this short and investors got it he eventually four months after it premiered at uh, sundance and so he finally got the funding. He went into production almost right away. Um, he had to recast certain scenes, but it was interesting that he had to reshoot that scene that was in the short film. And so that oh, means yeah. reimagining it. And he'd spent so much time with this specific scene because he created a short film around it that he kind of had to refamiliarize himself and reimagine the scene and so they live as two completely separate films you know in in his world they both work separately completely on their own for their own reasons and circumstances but i just love that he came at this with the perspective of this is a thriller this isn't a drama 
You yeah. Know, yeah. That's a completely different tactic to take. Uh, and for me, I mean, he's one of my heroes at the moment uh, between him, uh, Barry Jenkins, who directed Moonlight, um, Jeff Nichols, who's done like Midnight Special and mm, yeah. um, Take Shelter. Uh, and Ryan Johnson's another big one because these are all bootstrap guys. They kind of took very little and made a lot. Um, and for me, where I want to be and where I want to go, that's just super encouraging to see that it's, there's no one out there holding me down. Yeah, exactly. It's just me. What do I want to do? The world is your oyster. (laughs) It definitely feels like an oyster right Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I heard that story and, uh, heard that, uh, that JK Simmons jumped on and did it for nothing. Oh, wow. the, the short for nothing, not the movie, obviously, but cause they had funding. So he well, was going to get paid. Panned out for him, right? He got he, an Oscar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And man, was he amazing. Um, uh, and you know, uh, interesting thing, Miles Teller was playing ju- drums in that. And, well, most of it, you know, like, like, you know, when they're, when they're performing, you know, whiplash and stuff on stage, I don't think that that's him, you know, it's like studio guy or whatever, mm. but, but, you can tell when he's playing and he's, he's it. yeah, he's a great drummer. And I think he was on Leno or not. Was it Leno at the time? Yeah. I think it was Leno at the time and he played, um, live on Leno. Oh, wow. Um, one of those late night talk shows or something. So it was, it was a, a good recasting of, of him. He, he, he did a great job. What, what else has he, has he been in? Yeah. So he's been in Divergent. Uh, which is the kind of... I remember in that now. Yeah. yeah. And along with the remake of Fantastic Four. So w- one one quick thing. So a lot of the stuff, a lot of the, the, the crazy stuff that he puts um, Andrew through uh, happens in this particular room, um, which is where they, they do all their practicing and stuff. And And I noticed one time, I don't think there's any slow motion in this whole film except for one time. And... And so, okay, let, let me back up a second. There, there's two things that, cause there's a, they use music so well throughout the whole film. Um, when Miles is, is in his kind of lesser, uh, uh practice room with his, the lesser band, not Fletcher's band, but a lesser band. Uh, and Fletcher comes in and he has everybody play one, three notes or something. And, and then at the end he walks out and he tell he basically tells Miles, you know, come come to my band, you know, I'm 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 bringing you into my band. Uh, there's while this is all happening, there's like this mysterious bass line that that comes up. This mysterious bass line that comes up that that just I don't know. It, it basically tells you everything that's going on in his head. Um, that just happened with this little baseline. It, it's so good. It, just pay attention to it uh, whenever, whenever you watch it. It's, it's so good. And then another, another moment is, um, uh, what the first practice that he has following that and in Fletcher's band, uh, before he plays anything, uh, they take a break and, they take like 10 minutes or something. And, uh, he basically tell Fletcher tells, um, miles or Andrew, uh, that he's up 
when they come back after, after taking 10. So he's out in the hallway and he's listening to the song he's about to play. It's whiplash and he, he's listening to it. And then they're about to go in and Fletcher comes up and he talks to him and he's really nice to him. And he like reels him in. He like, he finds out some information about him, his backstory. There's no musicians in his family. He's the first musician. Da da da. Uh, he makes him feel really good. He makes, he makes uh, miles feel really good or Andrew. I keep calling him miles. And as he's walking into the room, he walks in in slow motion, cool and calm like a drummer, just, you know, whatever. And he sits down at the kid, it's still slow motion. And then boom, right when Fletcher walks in, it's, it's regular speed again. And here we go. And it's, and it's on and we start. Uh, but there, there's like a very good moment there. They pick these moments of like creating calmness around him and they're very sparse because he's crazy throughout this whole movie uh andrew is he's 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 crazy driven to be the best he's crazy driven to leave a mark he's crazy driven to 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 be the top guy in fletcher's band and yet there's these little moments and there's a couple at the beginning there's like one at the beginning of when he ends up um going on that first date Mm -hmm. there's a couple of moments where there's calmness and and everything and uh but that's really that's really it. And so anyway, there there's a that slow mo scene I loved, which I loved. Yeah, you know, the uh, Fletcher is such an interesting character, um, and that first scene really contrasts against the next time we see him uh, bursting into. So after he he books, you know the uh, the top band, uh, the studio as they call yeah. it, and he. Tells him, hey, be there at 6 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> totally sets him up. Oh, it's so good. I love that. And then he sees, oh, this isn't actually till 9 a.m. Um, even though he's late. Even though he's and late. And he was stressed he and was freaking out. Freaked out. The whole time. Yeah. So he sits in there and two or three minutes before, you know, 9 a.m., uh, people start trickling in. And then at the stroke of 9 a.m., he walks in and... That is Fletcher walks in. Yeah, yeah. Fletcher walks in, bursts into the room, even, right? Not yeah. just walks in. Yeah. He storms in. Yeah. And that's him. He is like a human metronome. He yeah. because that's that's the spirit of him. Everything is done with so much intent and so much purpose. There are no accents when it comes to Fletcher. And that's such a key insight into into him because he is he works like clockwork. He's gonna take you out into the hallway, and just like he crept up on him in the hallway at in the intro shot, now he's deriving information. Right, he's mm-hmm. like an assassin, yeah, and he's do- gathering his dossier on all the ways he's gonna take you down and try to get to the core of what you are. And that's really what he's interested in, is finding out what is in people. I tell you, man, and every Starbucks jazz album just proves my point, really. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. But is there a line? You know, maybe... You go too far and you discourage the next Charlie Parker from ever becoming Charlie Parker? No, man, no. Because the next Charlie Parker would never be discouraged. Yeah. 
The truth is, Andrew, I never really had a Charlie Parker. But I tried. I actually fucking tried. And that's more than most people ever do. And I will never apologize for how I tried. How do you feel about that? That concept? It's, um, <laughs> uh, I identify with it a lot. Um, it's true that, that, you know, greats like Charlie Parker, um, or not even just talking about jazz, uh, Federer in, in tennis or, um, Jack Nicholas in golf or, Sidney Poitier or whatever you, the, the greats at anything have to sacrifice everything. A lot of times, rarely is there someone who is born who is just great. Actually, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there is never anyone who is born that is just great. Greatness is not, is not a, a, a gift, you know, it is something that you earn by working your ass off, by giving more than the other guy. Someone like Michael Phelps is a perfect example. There were there was five straight years where he didn't go a single day without being in a pool. Five years straight. His birthday, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever. Every single day he was in the pool. And his reason was, I'm never going to take a day off. Because if there's someone else out there who swims six days a week and takes one rest day, I get to swim 52 times more than that guy. When does that matter? It matters in the Olympics when I win by one one hundredth of a second. That's when that matters. Those 52, it takes 52 extra days to give you one tenth of a one hundredth of a second. That he is not great because he was born great. He's great because he works and sacrifices his ass off. And I, I think that, that it, this movie is a great, it's something I need to show like my dad, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like I, cause when I get caught up in things, when I find something I love, I throw myself into it head, head first. And, and not everybody really understands that. And sometimes, I mean, you know, you, you're obsessive as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it, it's, it's too much for a lot of other people who are just not like that. And that's fine. That's fine that they're not. But when you find something that you want to be really good at and you've done other things that you really wanted to be really good at, then you know what it takes for you to be really good at that. And that's usually a lot more than what most people would would put into it. And this, this movie is exactly that. If he, if Fletcher had not even, even after he got kicked out of, of, uh, the school, Fletcher did even after, uh, um, Andrew walking in to the bar, you know, even after inviting him up to play and kicking him out, like if he hadn't done all of that throughout everything, thrown the chair at his head, you know, yelled in his face, made him cry, uh, uh, kicked him out of, out of school, you know, after he got in a car wreck, all of those things, uh, 
maybe he wouldn't have had that amazing performance at the end. Actually, he would not have had that amazing performance at the end. That's what made him. That's what he, when he said, I'd never had a Charlie Parker, that's like also like the, the, the Oracle in the matrix, which I love by the way, uh, is one of my favorite characters. Cause she does, she doesn't tell you what you, what you want to hear. She tells you what you need to hear. And sometimes that's not necessarily the truth. That's interesting. I have a variety of thoughts about this. Um, on the one hand, I absolutely agree that there's nothing more destructive than good job. I, I usually shy away from telling people good job. Um, unless I think it's genuine. If I really think this is something and there's something good about it, I will try to point out that thing. Um, but I try to stay away from generic praise and I think maybe there's a place for that. You know, maybe mom and dad that see your, whatever you're painting and they say, Oh, this is great. You know, there's a place for that. There's a place for encouragement. There's also a place for honesty and there's a place for improvement. And my problem with Fletcher is that it feels like he's emulating someone else. He picked up a hammer and now all he sees are nails. He's got one tool and that's the only tool he knows how to use. I respect someone like Greg Popovich way more who pop is the coach head coach of the San Antonio Spurs. And he is known as a, as a disciplinarian and as more of a psychological guy. And what I love about him is that he's taking the pulse of each individual player, finding out where they're at and how to make them the best that they can be. He's, if he, if one of these players, if a Charlie Parker gets sat in front of Popovich, he's going to become Charlie Parker because he's going to know the buttons to push just in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what he's also going to do is he's going to develop a Kawhi Leonard who, if -hmm. you, if you do what he did, I'm not sure how Kawhi Leonard responds to that. I don't really know him and really no one does because of how quiet of a human being this guy is. But right now Kawhi Leonard was in the running for MVP Mm -hmm. and this guy came out of a a no name school um, and wasn't he wasn't a lottery pick you know i think he was drafted like seventh or eighth um in in the nba draft and got traded like the team who could have picked him didn't he really even want him enough to they saw you know some other backup player uh george hill who was amazing and i was as a big spurs fan i was super upset i'm like who is this new guy that we're getting but pop took this guy and he had the drive right Kawhi, and maybe it, maybe it still holds true. Maybe there's nothing you could have done to discourage Kawhi. But I, I honestly think if he had landed anywhere other than San Antonio, we wouldn't know who this guy is. He wouldn't be an MVP candidate. And it's not because Pop screams at him all day. Right. Yeah. It's because he, he took the pulse. He knows the psychology of who needs to hear what. And I doubt Kawhi gets that many tongue lashings. Totally. Whereas Tony Parker came into the league as like a 19-year-old. Um, who had been playing pro sports for since he was 16, 15 years old. And Pop was tearing this guy down. He was putting him into tears. And mm-hmm. he knew what this guy needed, even though it may look on the outside like, oh, this is a sensitive guy. And so whenever I see someone like Fletcher, I'm like, I can't help but think you're destroying all this talent around you in order to find one gym yeah. where if you were a better smarter person 
you could still hammer out that that diamond right. without destroying all the the other sapphires and emeralds that are sitting around you. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like he's like a almost like a failed musician. Ooh, that's, you know? there's probably something in that. So angry, bitter. Yeah, because there's. I mean, it is very common to be a failed bitter musician. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are failed, not bitter musicians. Sure. You know? yeah. um, I'm sure but, there's bitter, successful musicians. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it is. It's a hard life. I mean, whether mm-hmm. you're, whether you're, you know, into, into rock, which is actually ex- like, like, you know, everywhere, or you're into jazz, which is not every, everywhere, not mainstream anymore should be but isn't. Um, but the, it's hard no matter what genre you're, you're playing. If you're a musician, you're, you're working your butt off and sometimes for little to no money, you know, most of the time for little to no money. So you it might be. And one of the cool things about this film was what seemed to me, and I didn't get to do a really deep thorough dive into it, but the colors really stuck out to me. And I think there's yeah. two interpretations you can really use. Um, for one, anytime you're on Fletcher, you're bathed in either a yellow or gold color, um, and a green. There's this, and I think the way it was meant to be was that, uh, this article that I read of Chazelle, he was talking about, you know, there's this gold, pristine, magical den that you're entering whenever, whenever you're in the, in the studio or you're on stage anytime you're entering into this hallowed ground it's meant to be hallowed and so in that that would kind of carry the same tone of uh, fletcher is the spirit of jazz and he's bathing everybody in this gold light that that surrounds him and if you want to be around it it's almost like the sun you know it's this huge source of energy but it can also destroy you you know and that's those are the only two options wow, the sun is either going to grow you or it's going to burn you to crisp. Yeah. You know, and and I think that's a very legit way to take it. But the way I took it watching it was more along the lines of these are sickly colors. These are this dingy green and this dirty yellow almost gave everyone a jaundiced look. And <laughs> it felt like uh man, I want to watch that again. <laughs> I missed that. That's that's the impression I get because once you step outside of Fletcher's world, you get back to these natural colors. These yeah. uh Daylight balanced whites and everything feels a little bit better, even whenever uh, you're breaking up with your girlfriend. It's still not that bad. You're right. Um, but everything around him, and this is including after they shred the shred each other on stage and they bump into each other on the uh, on in the jazz club that Andrew wanders into. If you watch that scene. From what I remember, they're sitting, Andrew steps in, he's like the only thing in that whole place that has this kind of amber, yellow, orange hue to him. Everything else in that club is either going to be like green or blue. Blue, yeah. You know, and Mm -hmm. it's almost like it's being emitted by J.K. Simmons, by Fletcher. Yeah. Um, And it's so strong and it's so uh, prominent that you're just getting this feeling whether it's a sinking feeling or not uh i think is going to also be dictated by some of the camera angles uh, because this is also a very claustrophobic movie um there's a lot of very tight shots and the editing is gets you know 
rapid cut depending on where you're at because you go from playing jazz in the editing to being more in strict and intentional and uh, more to the spirit of normal editing. And it's amazing because Tom Cross, who picked up an Oscar also uh, for yes. his editing, I mean, that was the first thing we, we walked out of this thing. For that. Yeah. When, yeah. Because we walked out of this thing and I was like, my God, the editing in that yeah. was I think incredible. Even, whether you're an editor or not, or you know anything about movies, I think you, is something you can't not notice. Absolutely. I mean, you, you just, it, it's, it plays such a huge part in, in, not only just not only telling the story, but giving you the minutia of, of things like like when the when the band first goes into the room and that first morning mm. and Fletcher's about to walk in right at nine o'clock, they're getting ready, da da da. They they're playing around and then you see all these tiny little cuts like the horns, you know, the guy spit emptying valve. a spit valve, mm. you know, like the 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 snare being turned on and then it immediately cuts underneath to the snares, you know, hitting the the drum. Uh and then this the stick resting on the on the snare itself, the, uh, the top, like all of all these little tiny things, it just tells you really fast, super fast. And then boom, calm, ready. And then go. It, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Good. And there's this, uh, video I'll, I'll link it on the uh, show notes that does a really great job of breaking down one of the calmer scenes. Uh, the first date where, mm. uh, Andrew takes out uh, Melissa Benoist, uh, Nicole. Nicole. And there's this really great editing breakdown on the way the uh, Tom Cross uses all these angles to really communicate where they're at in their relationship. And I'll let his, this video do the talking. Um, but then there's the other side of it, right? Whenever you get into the, like you said, whether you're in the, the practice room or, or you're on stage, you jump into that last scene or even building up to uh, the car crash. I mean, all of that oh, yeah. is just frenetic. Yeah. It's freaking jazz, and it's all the tension, none of the resolution. Yeah. You're just getting raked over the coals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, I love all of that. It's, it's pulling you in. And that's what I also really liked about you know, the cinematography was uh, could get very claustrophobic. And I felt like the, the DP and the editor – or just working in concert, man, because there's so much tension in throughout the movie, but specifically in that last scene, whenever Andrew goes off script, when he's like, you know what, screw it. You, you got one on me, but I, I'm about to get, and they're playing this game of chicken mm-hmm. and who's going to swear first. It's so tense, not only because I think for a number of reasons, I don't think we ever actually get to hear Caravan. That's the only time we hear it in its full. Oh yeah. So we don't know where we're going. Yeah. We're already driving blind. We don't know whenever he's going off script and when he's on script. So there's one moment of tension, which is uh, built into the script, but there's also these moments of tension that we lose track of, of Fletcher. We're not cutting back to him enough to know how is he responding? Because the last time these two guys got on stage and it, it was a train wreck, Andrew tackles him and starts beating the tar out of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so now we're, we're on the stage again and Fletcher's one upped him. He put him on the spot and ostensibly has ruined his career. And then Andrew says, I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to go off script. Now we don't know how Fletch is going to respond. And so we really lose track of him. At one point going back to the, uh, the car wreck scene followed by the concert. Um, 
we see Andrew and he's trying to play and he drops his drumstick and he scoops, you know, reaches down to pick it up and we pan up and Fletcher is right there over a drum kit. Yeah. He's like, what the F are you doing? <laughs> you know, he's in his grill. And so we still have this surprise. We've kind of created this tension of, we never know what Fletcher's really going to be doing. We've already very well established he is unpredictable. He is jazz because of his unpredictability. I mean, you never know where he's going to go next. And now we're in this final scene and we're constantly losing track of him. Mm-hmm. We're watching what Andrew's doing. We see a little bit of what everyone else is doing. But we spend so much time watching Andrew that it might be a good 30 edits before we cut back to Fletcher. And we're just on pins and needles. Are they on the same page yet? Um, or is he just going to go ape shit? <laughs> like we, yeah. we don't know. And I love that, that claustrophobia, the frenetic pacing and it both times. The first time I watched this, I was on literally on the edge of my seat mm. and my pulse was screaming like my, I, I must've had a 250 heartbeat yeah. Yeah. <laughs> per minute happening. And then we watched it again last night. And it happened all over again. I couldn't escape this tension. And it's just so beautifully done because there's finally this moment when it dawns on Fletcher that I found my Charlie Parker. Oh, yeah. And he's kind of leaning in the middle. And it's not really until I think uh, he starts bobbing his head. He's like, okay, yeah, this is it. And you're still not sure. Does he still have something up his sleeve? But when the symbol falls over and he picks it up, picks for him, it up for him. Oh, dude, it's money. Yes. And then they're finally on the same page and they make magic happen. I love that. Finally, now he's got the respect of Fletcher. Neiman has finally got the respect of Fletcher and to the point that he's going to take direction again. Yeah. And he starts listening to him. He starts giving him these hand signals. Okay, slow it down. I know what you're doing. You're going buddy rich on me right now. Mm-hmm. And he starts slowing him down going quieter quieter then he just starts bringing them back up and they're working together and that you finally start getting this excitement that that resolution finally comes in like the last 30 seconds of the film yeah oh man and they pound it out man those those that that whole band that whole jazz ensemble was just incredible Mm -hmm. and yeah Yeah, i mean it's crazy just kind of want to keep fawning over it, but yeah. that's at the heart of it. There was this all this tension. You had ninety, you know, some odd minutes or whatever it is now, and forty minutes of tension finally followed up by this one harmony. Yeah, that they found together. So, going back to your, I, I like your analogy of of um, Kawhi Leonard and and Pop. Um, I think that is another way to do it. I I would, however. I would, however, argue with it. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying that it can't work. Uh, of course, there's there's probably you know a dozen different ways that you can bring you know the great the greatness out of someone. Now, you never really know which one is the right one or how great they can be if it was some other way. You know, so so I mean, let's look at uh, let's look at Andrew, for example. He was quiet. He was, you know, pretty chill at the beginning of the movie, at least, you know. And so what, but it didn't matter to 
it didn't matter to Fletcher. Fletcher was like, this is, this is, I'm a, you know, I got one, one gear and it is on. So, and it is volume, volume 10 all the time. Uh, and, and so Andrew was a quiet guy, just like quiet is, but his response was, was, Oh, you're trying to bring the beast out of me. And it, it happens. He brings it out of him first physically, you know, because he ends up beating the crap out of Fletcher or trying to, and then in his playing. Because I want to be great. And you're not. I want to be one of the greats. And I would stop you from doing that. Yeah. You know I would stop you from doing that. You know that for a fact. Yes. And I'd barely see you anyway. And when I did see you, you treat me like shit because I'm just some girl who doesn't know what she wants and you have a path and you're going to be great and I'm going to be forgotten and therefore you won't be able to give me the time of day because you have bigger things to pursue. That's exactly my point. What the fuck is wrong with you? You're right, we should not be dating. Real quick, one thing I really love about this scene is when they're having this conversation, you're up close. You're in a close-up on her. Mm-hmm. She's invested. She's here and yeah. present. He's in a medium. Right. He is distant. He is detached. He has only one thing on his mind, and it isn't her. Right. And I think that's one of the the drawbacks because his technique leaves so many devastated people in its wake. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the kid who killed himself because of all the depression that it brought on. And this kid was turning out to be great. He wasn't maybe his his Charlie Bird Parker, but it destroyed him. Yeah. You know, and I also think you can still say that uh, everyone bears their own responsibility for their life. And I would agree with that. But I don't think that's the case the film is making. I think the film is making the case that this is the direct effect that Fletcher had on this human being. Cause we never get to meet him. We never really get to right, know right, yeah, his deal. Yeah. That's what we think. That's yeah. what we think. And so you can see it happening here. I mean, this kid is, is taking the call to arms to go all out and to invest himself completely and to be every bit of a jerk that, that Fletcher is there's, there's a cost, I guess. And I think it also comes down to uh, his dad. We have these two father figures um, in his life. And on the one hand, you have his dad, who is this incredibly meek pushover dude who Andrew absolutely loves but does not respect. I mean, in the, op- the very first time we meet this guy, right. what happens? They're in the theater. Someone walking behind him hits his head. And he apologizes to the guy. It's like, why yeah. are you apologizing for someone hitting you? That's, that's, yeah. that's weak. You're spineless. That's one way I think Andrew's perceiving the world. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I think there's something to be said for kindness and being loving and accepting of the world. Um, but that's not the way Andrew's seeing it. He's seeing his dad as this weak, 
person with nothing to really offer Andrew. And then he's seeing Fletcher as someone he respects, but doesn't love and respect. I mean, this might be a guy thing for all I know, but for me, they're, they're tantamount to the same exact thing. If you don't respect me, you probably don't love me. I don't know how to receive love outside of respect. They're so conjoined and he doesn't have any love for Fletcher, but he respects the ever loving hell out of him. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and that's so much more important because he understands this is where I need to be. And this guy is so hardcore that if I can win him over, then I am that good. But are you saying that he doesn't love his dad because he doesn't respect his dad? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I don't really know the answer to that. I would say it's possible. I think he, he does love him. He, he sees the value in him, mm-hmm. but he maybe sees him as less of a man. Mm-hmm. I think that's very possible. He he couldn't really take his father's advice. He he tried to for a time to live in the world without music, and he yeah. hated it. You could see how humdrum, how without music, and music is kind of an analogy for life in this instance, right? Um, everything hard, but giving happens with music for Andrew. And whenever he's devoid of that, I mean, there's, there's nothing. So I didn't, I didn't go to Berkeley or North Texas, but I played with guys that did. And right after college, I moved out to LA to do music. And the first rehearsal I was in was with two guys who graduated from Berkeley and one guy who graduated from North Texas, two of the the best music schools in the country. And another guy who is just an amazing guitarist, like incredible. It, it is, there's something about, about someone so green when you are so green being in a room with monsters who expect you to be good, not just good. They expect you to be perfect. And when you're not, when you have those moments of humanity, you know, when you're, when you're, you just you just make a mistake or you're you're not able to follow the chart fast enough or or whatever you get behind they are judging you and you can feel it even if they're not judging you you feel that they are and they're judging you uh <laughs> so so there is a i i think so, something the, the, your argument with with um pop and and uh Kawhi is a great one and i think that that's 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 great for basketball, but for music, it, it might be different only. And I only say that because it's, it's just, I don't, okay. I don't think that you have to be a Fletcher to pull out the Charlie Parker from people. I, let me just go out okay. and say that. Okay. <laughs> but I do think that there is, so, there is something to be said about being hard on on others who are trying to do what you do, right? Uh, so, it, for example, um, um, let, let's. Oh yeah, well, let's just use the same example when you know of me in LA and that 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 first rehearsal room. Uh, I was I was nervous as hell, um, and they were nice to me. Where is that band? Nowhere. The band is nowhere. Um, had they not been nice to me, had they kicked my butt and said, and said, get this together or you're out. 
I mean, maybe that band would have been somewhere. I'm not saying that it would have, but I am saying that if I, if you want to be there, then you, you need to be told the truth. And the truth is you're either good enough or you're not. So put up or shut up. And I agree with that. No, don't get me wrong. I, I try to read people and understand their psychology of where they're at instead of trying to enforce my one size fits all because I completely believe maybe more often than not, people need the hard truth. They need to hear that sucked or that you screwed up from someone you care for, right? Like if, if yeah. I don't know you and I don't care about you, you telling me I sucked is going to do it's 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 only going to hurt me. It's not going to help me. Um, but if you can tell someone that you know that hey, here's where you need to pick it up. Even in the situation that you're describing, like you're in a band, you're the greenhorn, you need to be kicked in the butt a little bit. I completely believe that, and I think that's one of the issues. Um, as I wax poetic about the world mm-hmm. um, that we're we're having right now, I, I feel like not enough people hear that they suck when they probably need to hear it. Um, yeah. And, and why? Because either they're going to put up or they're going to shut up. They're either going to get discouraged and go away, in which case they shouldn't have been there in the first place, because you're going to hear you suck. Mm-hmm. No matter how good you are, you're going to hear you suck. Um, so you, you, you need to hear that kind of thing. Yeah, it's just going to, it should um, improve someone's inner ear, right? Your balance yeah. should, should never get so far to the I'm amazing. And every, everything I do is, you know, rainbows and glitter. Uh, That's just not reality. You can't always be good all the time. And if you don't have the discernment to judge for yourself when you're terrible, then someone needs to help you and tell you, here's where you can improve. And sometimes that's going to come in the form of, uh, and it depends on who you're talking to. I mean, there's probably a lot of Fletchers out there. I mean, Simon Cowell is infamous for his, uh, terse manner. Um, but then there's, I don't really have another good example other than, yeah, pop. no, I get it. Yeah. And so yeah. there's, there's, there's a time and a place and I think it's good for someone, you know, and trust to tell you you're screwing up. Here's what needs to happen or else yeah. bad things. So there are, there are barriers to entry for everything, right? Whether that's, you know, professional basketball, whether that's table tennis that we were watching earlier, uh, or whether that's music or, or whatever, there are barriers and each barrier leaves a lot of people in its wake. Mm-hmm. And each barrier after that leaves even more people and, or even few, a little fewer people, but there's more that are left and there's several. So when you talk about music, there's a lot of barriers just in like, like rock and roll which is the easiest thing to play. Let's be honest. It is. Uh, There's still a bunch of barriers to being not just good, but successful. Uh, Then when you talk about jazz, though, jazz is the best of the best play jazz. So you have the best players playing the best, the hardest music to play. That's a whole different way of treating that. You don't sugarcoat that. You know, you don't have, you know, someone like, like carry, you know, like saying, saying this is where you can improve. No, it's, uh, it's, it's, you should be good now because you're playing jazz. You know, you don't belong on the stage with these other guys who are perfect if you're not. 
And that's just what it is. You're like in the, in the NBA, you know, you need to make a lot of three pointers, right? Like if you, you know, if you're a point guard, point guard and you shoot a lot, you need to make a lot of them, but you can miss a few and that's okay. You can't do that in jazz when you're playing with all these guys that never miss notes. Or if you miss it, it's part of it. I was about to say, because jazz is all about making mistakes and playing with them. Right. But you need to be able to do that. And that's, that's, uh, I mean, we're, you know, going on all these metaphors. That's like, you know, we we were watching table tennis earlier. You're watching for the spin, right? You're watching and, and you're almost, you have to be good enough to notice what the spin is and how to counteract it. It's it's the same it's the same thing. So yes, you could quote unquote miss a note, but that that means you need to be able to take that somewhere. So that's where the 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 excellence of that player comes in. You don't get someone usually. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a jazz player, so maybe I'm well, wrong. But well, and here's what sucks about it is that with jazz, I mean, it's really all about knowing your skills, right? You're going to be playing this scale, and no matter what, your fallback is just to play the freaking scale. Mm-hmm. Literally. You just bounce around, arpeggio, whatever. Yeah. You're just playing with the scale, and you're freestyling whenever it's your time to freestyle. In those moments, there's other than know your scale, there's really no feedback you can give someone. All you can say is you suck. I mean, how, how constructive is that? I mean, not. It's not. Yeah. You either, and I get it. You either have it or you don't. But it's it's such a, I mean it is it's a it's a hell or high water you know situation. Yeah, yeah. I, it's not like a like a. Uh, yeah, I think about my son. If he wanted to play jazz, I wouldn't say you suck. You should quit. You should. You, I should. Right? Don't you're you four, love your? Son? You're four years old. You should be. <laughs> you should already be good. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that. But at the same time, if you know, if he's, if he's 18 and he wants to be the best of the best, and I don't think that he is, would you send him to Fletcher? <laughs> no, I would not send him to Fletcher. Interesting. I, I already, I already <laughs> said, I don't think that this is a good thing. I don't think that Fletcher's existing are a good thing. Um, but I do think that they have probably the Fletchers of the world have probably resulted in some really amazing players that you've mm. probably heard of yeah. um, in jazz, which is, uh, or, or not just in jazz, but in music in general or, or whatever. Um, I do think they're, they do benefit. I don't think that it's the way I would want to raise my kid necessarily, yeah. but I would be honest with him, you know? And if he thinks that he's going to be the greatest and I know he's not, I'm I'm not going to say that he is, but I'm not going to tell him that he can't be at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, which I think is to your point, you know, in this argument, which is, which is, you know, you need to find the greatness and, and, and build that up rather than just squashing it and saying that you, you, you shouldn't be here. Yeah. I think there's, I, I see exactly what you mean. There's a place maybe for someone like that. And there's probably a, profound effect that he has on those people whenever you you have that much power and that much respect over an audience um of your students yeah there's there's opportunity for greatness i i wouldn't i wouldn't have responded well to someone like fletcher no but then again i wouldn't have gone to that school no that's a good point and what's interesting is 
the dad's point of view on the whole thing. He does not get it. Oh, yeah. He yeah, doesn't no. get it. And I don't think, uh, the more I've chewed on this, I think even at the end, he still doesn't get it, but he sees the greatness. Yes. And you can see, like, there's a the, that shot right of him uh, on the other side of the door. The door, yeah. And it's narrow. Uh-huh. He's just got a glimpse yeah. of how great his son is is yeah i love the dad i love his interaction with the son paul reiser is just he's he's perfect for this role he's so good in this and and i think i love him so much because he reminds me of my dad a lot Mm -hmm. you know and because like i mentioned earlier i'm very if i love something it's all i can think about it's all that i like like I'm just about it, you know, whether that's my, my kids or my wife or, or, you know, triathlon or, or music or whatever. Um, I've just always done that. I've thrown myself into things. And my dad is not that way. He just does not understand that, that mentality of, of it's all I can, I'm obsessive. It's all I can think about. Uh, and this dad doesn't eat either. He doesn't see how that, is 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 a good thing necessarily mm. yeah. and it's frustrating for for uh andrew the entire movie my i love 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 because i totally identify with it uh the scene of them at the dinner table oh my God. where <laughs> where miles is so proud that he made the he made you know the uh the the new ba- the band right <clears throat> he's so proud that he made fletcher's band and he's trying to tell about it and nobody really cares they're asking him and he's talking, but they don't really hear like the, the love of, of what he's doing, like the accomplishment of it. They just hear, Oh, he's playing drums. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. And then his son walks in, who's a football player and everybody's like, Hey, how you doing? And it's, it's just, it, it's fantastic. And then the way, the way that miles tell, or I keep calling miles, Andrew tells off his brother, and basically oh, everybody yeah. at the table uh, saying that who need, who needs friends, you know, when you're the greatest, well, you know, nobody will remember if you don't have friends. Well, Charlie Parker didn't have any friends and we're talking about him. It's so <laughs> great. It's so, it's such an awesome, awesome, like piece of writing. It is. It is. And it's, it reveals the extreme thought process yeah. um, behind not only Andrew, but you know, uh, people who are striving for greatness. Mm. I think that there are people that are better at things than others naturally, you know? Um, And those are the people that when they make it, quote unquote, can enjoy it a little bit more. Someone like, like, uh, um, he's one of my favorite players and I can't remember his name. He plays for uh, Golden State. Steph? Yeah. Yeah. Curry. He's, He's incredible. I, re- I mean, obviously he works hard and he has, and he, he shoots like 303 po- or 303 pointers at the end of every practice or something like that, or a hundred of them. I'm, I, I'm it, sure he does them all with his eye, eyes closed. I can't, I heard he, I heard Steph he made Curry. like, I heard he made like 97 of a hundred after one practice. One time. <laughs> can't stand the guy. Yeah, no, but that is amazing. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, my, my point is that obviously he worked hard or whatever, but he's the kind of guy who like, he doesn't go out and party, mm-hmm. whatever. He goes home and he like yeah. hangs out with his family, yeah. you know, and he gets to enjoy that. Yeah. But then you have other, other guys who are just constant. They just have to constantly work just to keep up. Yeah. That would be me. I'm that guy. I'm the late, 
the, the, I'm the guy that takes longer to get a math problem, who takes longer to learn a scale, who takes, uh, it just, it just takes me longer, you know? And I'm just not naturally gifted at anything like some guys are, you know? But I, that being said, I still really believe that, that greatness is made, not, not just born, you know? That's amazing. I don't, I wonder how Mozart and Beethoven would take that. Good point. Child prodigies. Well, there, there's an exception to every rule. That's a very good point. It illuminates the rule. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. So like some people are just born really, really good, but when is the last, I mean, I don't know. There are a lot of child, child prodigies at things. Yeah. But I wonder how many actually survive their prodigy stage. Oh, good point. <laughs> Interesting. Man, we went out on a tangent here. Yeah, we did. So that pretty much wraps up. <laughs> we got to wrap it. Whiplash. Might be the longest one we've done. Drop us a note if you... You know, it's funny. You were saying, you were saying this This might take uh, 30 minutes. Yeah. Because you didn't have any notes. Yeah, I really didn't. Yeah. yeah, we just kind of went back and forth. Um, so if you have any thoughts, you know, drop us a note in in the show notes uh, at com slash whiplash. And tell us what you think of the movie, what, you know, maybe some things we overlooked or drop your opinion on our ramblings. Yeah. <laughs> um, so quick recommendation. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to recommend one that I recommended to you Ooh. that you're about to watch. <laughs> one of my favorite movies growing up. I can quote every single line from this movie. It's got Walter Matthau and George Burns who star in it. It's from like, I think 78, it's a little racist at times. Um, but is is really just like one line, maybe two lines, but uh, it's called the Sunshine Boys. Glad we've progressed so far. I know, right? <laughs> but it's it's so hilarious. So I'm going a, a little off topic this week with my recommendation. Cool. And I'm going to recommend music in the spirit of Whiplash, though it will not be jazz. I saw this behind the scenes making of If Janet Jackson. And so I'm oh. going to recommend the 1993 album Janet. Nice. It's a great album. I've been I was listening to it last night as I was working on some stuff. I didn't stuff. know we could recommend albums. Yeah, it's hey, read the show notes, buddy. Oh, I should really read those each week. Well, yeah, I recommend okay. it, uh that album. You have That's the Way Love Goes, If Again, Anytime, Any Place, so many great tricks. Yeah. Um nice. So what are we doing next week, man? Uh, we are going to review and break down Transformers The Last Night. Oh my gosh. This is going to be fun? I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I'm I'm not there. anticipating liking this movie, so that's... Yeah, this is a movie that we haven't actually seen yet. We haven't seen it yet, so we may not like it, and we will be honest about that. We're not here to... We're not, we don't have any real advertisers if no. you haven't picked up. So. <laughs> so, what are you talking about? Prometheus, oh, it's, it's real. This is a good point, yes. Yeah, Ridley right? Scott is right. totally paying me under the table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so subscribe and review us on iTunes and also leave a note saying uh, what you'd like us to talk about uh, maybe next time or the time after that uh, and the kinds of things that you find interesting. We know what we like, but we want to know what you like. Awesome. And so we'll leave you with the quote of the day from Danny Boyle. I always say that if I have another success, I'll enjoy it more. But you don't really. I want to talk about that. I know. It's kind of amazing. Just that whole concept of you want to enjoy what you have, but you never really do. It's about the, the, the journey, not the destination. The process, Ooh. not the finale. So true. Okay. 
Good night. <laughs> this is Wes. And Todd. Signing off. Go watch your movies.